Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. When we think of the opposite of hope, we think of the word despair. We think of lots of despair these past couple years. Think of despair seen in the increasing suicide rates across the globe. The uptick in clinical depression. People have a sense of hopelessness. For most people, however, it's not a struggle with full-on despair. It's a little bit up a notch with dealing with disappointment. A group of sociologists were interviewed, and they said right now the, the primary American emotion is disappointment, discontentedness. Not quite sure what's coming around the corner. Anxiety, fear. So when we come up against a global pandemic, when we face death, unemployment, people have no meaning to assign their pain. They don't know what to do with it. As a matter of fact, sociologists use a formula Happiness equals reality minus expectations. Happiness equals reality minus expectations. So I think what they're trying to say there is the higher expectations that we have for life, when it meets reality, if those expectations are not met, we're disappointed. But if we expect this world to be a certain way, then when we face those hardships, we're okay with it. We can all relate to the lyric, especially these past two years, from O Holy Night, at least to this one part of it, the weary world rejoices. So many things that we have put our hope in have let us down. People have put their hope in progress. People have put their hope in politics. People put their hope in humans. We're disappointed. As a matter of fact, when the vaccine came out, people naturally put their hope in that. Boris Johnson says this. He said, this could, I stress, really be the salvation for humanity. Now, I know that's a figure of speech, but... As the author says, there's a bit of a Freudian slip there, isn't there? What man can do, vaccines, whatever it may be, gives us a little bit of hope. But folks, it is not the salvation of humanity. Let us go back to the song. Why can this weary world rejoice? And we're weary, aren't we? Why? Is it because something man did? Is it because something this world can offer? We can rejoice because of the birth of Jesus Christ. 
Because God became a man and entered in to this weary world. And because of that truth, you and I can gather here today in these weird, ugly sweaters and sing songs and rejoice, even though this world is facing what it faces, even though we're in the midst of a global pandemic, even though we're in the midst of a division across our nation like we've never seen before, even though because of Him. He's a hope that will not disappoint. He is a hope that is an absolute surety for all of those who place their hope in Him and Him alone. At no point before, at no point after, is there any other hope for humanity. The salvation of humanity is not found in something man can do. The salvation of humanity is found in the person of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us on the cross. Hope. A real hope. I want to read the verses that we're going to be looking at today. So if you open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, I'm going to read them in their entirety, and then we're going to break them down. Just listen to what John says here. Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. They shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning. There will no longer be any crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Even though it's not in the scripture that's listed, we, we have to take a look at verse 5 before we continue and look at the rest of this passage. Notice what verse 5 says. Behold, I am making all things new. And what does he say to John? Hey, grab your pen and paper, John. Grab your pen and paper. Write these things down. Write them down. Pass them on. Let people know, because these words, these words are as good as done. You can consider what we are reading today already accomplished. That is what God is saying. That is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that this end of the story, really the beginning, this is a reality for every single person who has placed their hope in Jesus. This is how it ends, right here. We celebrate the beginning, and because of that beginning, we can come right to this passage today, and I can sit here and tell you, write it down, folks. Write it down, because it is this hope, 
It is this reality that is going to get us through all the pandemics that we may ever face in this world. Write it down, John. Tell people. Tell people about the hope that I know that you're going to go through tough times. I know you're going to face hardship. I know you're going to suffer. I know you're going to cry. But guess what? There's a promise. I see three promises that we're going to be looking at today. The hope that we have in Christ. The first promise is that of a new home. Verses 1 through 2. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. So notice what John does here in in this section. And if you include verse 5, you can understand the progress here. He goes, I saw, I saw, I heard, write it. I saw, I saw, I heard, write it down. He's an eyewitness to these things. He's using his senses to let us know, I'm not making this up. This is actually what I saw. He's on the island of Patmos, and this is where uh, he has the revelations that he has. And he's communicating them specifically to the, the church in his time, but to the church throughout time. I saw, I saw, I heard, write it down. In his book, The First Chapters of Everything, how Genesis 1 through 4 explains everything, Alistair Payne illustrates how sin and the fall have spoiled the blessings that God has given. He says his parents were once out of the house, and during that time they received an alarming phone call to say that there had been a fire. They hurried home to find that some workers were mending the gas main outside that had caused the explosion in the house boiler. The boiler itself was charred ruined, but the rest of the house seemed okay. However, there was intensive smoke damage. All around the house, everything smelled of smoke. He said you could take your finger and wipe the filthy grime off the wall. Furniture was there, the house was still there, but it was all tainted by this smoke. Folks, that's, that's kind of identical to what has happened in the fall, isn't it? Death has entered into this world because of the sin of mankind, and this world just smells like smoke. It's beautiful, we enjoy this world, we enjoy creation, but even you and me smell like smoke. Sometimes, some days more than others. Sin and death has entered into this world. And it taints everything around us. We'll go on a vacation, maybe book a, a, a nice vacation. You look at the brochure, right? And you get the nice view of the beach and everything like that. And it doesn't show you the, the, the garbage heap that's next door. It doesn't show you who your neighbors are going to be. It doesn't talk about that, that meal that you're going to get and you're going to just kind of dish it off into the trash can. It doesn't say any of those things. It doesn't talk about the arguments that you're going to get into with whoever you go with. Why is that? We have all this beauty around us and we can enjoy all these wonderful times, but it's tainted. And we know something is wrong. Sin. It's sin and death. And we can see here because it's it's often the case that when we think of Jesus Christ and Him redeeming us, we think of 
we're going to be redeemed. And we think of our bodies naturally, right? But we tend to forget that Jesus Christ not only redeems mankind, that not only are you and I going to have an opportunity to enjoy heaven and earth in a new body without any pain, without any sin, without any suffering, but that earth is going to be redeemed as well. I often say I can tell what churches are talking about, what pastors are talking about when I go look for sermon illustrations, because they put sermon illustrations that people are using, that pastors are using. So if you go to stress, right, there's like 8,000 sermon illustrations on stress. If you go to midlife crisis, there might be a couple thousand on midlife crisis. If you go and you look up sermon illustrations on the new heaven and new earth, there's like two. Do you know why that is? We're not talking about it. And I think that's part of the reason why sometimes, myself included, I'm like, ah, I'm not sure I really want to leave earth. I kind of like it here. It's kind of nice. Now, I love it. I love my family. I love this church. I love this world. God wants us to long for this right here. That's why he tells John to write it down. This is the hope that we have. And we sometimes think of heaven that we're going to be sitting on a cloud like this guy wishing that we brought a magazine. It's going to be boring, but I want you to listen to what Mr. Kirby says to us about this. Sorry, I lost my place first. He says this. He said, redeemed saints are not destined to live eternally in an ethereal realm floating around holding a harp with no purpose. Rather, we are guaranteed that God will transform His world into the glorious place, and I would say even more so, that it was intended to be when He first planted Adam in the garden. He redeems the world. He makes it new. That's the promise that we have in Christ. As far as the curse is found, not only does He redeem us, He redeems this world and He gives it to us as a gift for us to enjoy. But without any pollution, without any sin, without any winter. I don't like winter. I hate winter. I like the snow. It's pretty. But winter is what? Death. That's what it is. It's death. And I I was thinking about this as I'm writing this sermon. I'm like, God does that for a reason. He does that for a reason because you plant the flowers, right? You fix your home up. You do all these wonderful things. Does it stay that way? No. Isn't that frustrating? Yeah, I know. I know. I can hear my wife right now saying that's all, you know, she's in an endless cycle of cleaning and and laundry and stuff like, and you know, it just, and she would say, I just want it to stay that way. Well, it can't because then we wouldn't be there. And it doesn't stay that way, and we know it's wrong. And when we come to winter, it's a reminder. And God's like, remember. Remember sin. Remember the fall. I got something better planned for you, because one day, there ain't going to be snow. That's a good thing. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth for you and I to enjoy. That's why Jesus wore the crown of thorns The crown of thorns represents the curse. He redeems that. Right now, 
creation and you and me are groaning. So Paul says in Romans 8, for creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. And you and I know the creation has been groaning. This past week testifies to it, doesn't it? Earthquakes and tornadoes and whatever it is. And you and I are groaning, some of us louder than others. Everyone let out a big groan right now. Just go, ugh. Isn't that how you feel some mornings? You wake up and you're like, ugh. This is terrible. I've been groaning more as I get older. Not to complain. I have chronic back issues. And, we, and you know, if you're in pain a lot, that, that gets old, doesn't it? And you groan, and you're like, wait, this isn't right. Something's wrong. It's right. And the world knows something's wrong because, and don't, don't get me wrong, folks. Christians should be the best stewards of this earth, hands down, because God gave us this world as a gift, and we have a stewardship over it. But I'll tell you what, we can have all the plans in the world. We can do all of these different policies, whatever it is, Mankind isn't fixing this earth. This earth is reserved for fire. Jesus Christ is the answer to climate change. He gives us a new one. A new heaven and a new earth that all of us can enjoy. With new animals. I was looking at these creatures the other day. And if we think this world is beautiful, which it is, and we think the creation in it is beautiful, which it is, can we imagine what this new heaven and new earth is going to be like? This is the, a fish you can see through its head. That's mind-blowing. So, come on. The, that's not the groan I'm looking for. But do you see how beautiful these creatures are? If God created this, and this is the, the, the fallen earth that we now enjoy, what do you think the new heavens and new earth are going to be like? Doesn't that make you long for that? Where is that hope found? In the birth of Christ. And if you don't like the country living, there's a city option too. He brings down a whole new city. And I'm just looking at the, and we can't get in, but if you go, if you get a chance, just go right across the street in your Bible there and read what the new Jerusalem is made out of. But here are some of the things that this city is made out of, okay? Jasper, gold, sapphire, onyx, chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, sardius, topaz, pearl. Some of these things, I have no idea what they are, but I know they're beautiful. It's funny because I like to go to yard sales and I like to find gold. And I find gold, and then I go to main gold and silver, and I trade that in for money. And I look for gold and silver. People kill themselves over gold, right? People go, and the gold rush proves it. Here they are killing themselves. To Why? Because it's a valuable metal. This is the stuff the city's made out of. 
It's the, it's the building materials. And I'm looking at that, and I'm like, that's just, God spares no expense, does he? And we know that because he sent his son for you and me. There'll be a city, and this city is going to have no smog, no filth, no poverty, no homelessness. And even though it's not going to look like Philadelphia, it's going to be the city of brotherly love because Peter tells us that in that city, righteousness will dwell. Peace and righteousness. But heaven isn't really just a place. It's all about the person. Second promise is that of a new presence. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them and they shall be His people. And God Himself will be among them. Grandmom tells a story about her son, Brian, and his wife, Becky, who go to, South, uh, go to Florida Keys for their 15th wedding anniversary. She had volunteered to house-sit and watch over her grandsons, Nathan, age 7, and Joshua, age 5. She said the three of them were also looking forward to their vacation, Included some swimming, happy meals, Olympics, and snuggle time. Lots and lots of snuggle time. Brian and Becky slipped into the boys' room around 5 a.m. to give last-minute hugs and kisses and to capture goodbye waves from the front window. She said when she woke up an hour or so later, she can hear the telltale signs of youthfulness. Sure enough, she found Nate and Josh wrapped in blankets and staring at an acceptable cartoon on the television. It was a rainy day, and the day seemed to go on forever. They played games, watched videos, and they drew some pictures, and then it was time for bed. As she was putting them down to bed, the phone rang. It was Brian and Becky. The boys jumped up to chat, and each one took their turn talking with their mom and dad, and as they did, the tears began to flow. Soon, they were both absolutely inconsolable. The whole situation had become too much. They were tired. Their mom and dad were so far away, and as much as they loved Grammy, they wanted their parents. When they got back into the bedroom, she tried to quiet them down. But Nate, being older, couldn't stop thinking about his parents. Through his wailing and shaking arms, he reached out to me and he said in his little voice, speaking some very profound words, and he said, Grandma, I'm homesick and I'm at home. How can that be? Brian and Becky returned five days later. The boys were ecstatic, their faces filled with smiles. They couldn't get close enough to each of their parents. At last, home was home. What makes a home? It's a people, isn't it? You could be at home and still be homesick. 
What makes heaven heaven? It's God. It's His presence. Heaven isn't home without Him there. I think this is part of the biggest problem with people in Christianity. People want heaven. People would love a new heaven and a new earth to be able to roam free, do whatever they want, not deal with pain, not deal with suffering. People don't want who heaven is all about. But heaven is in heaven if God is not there. I want you to look at what, what John is doing here. John is real excited. You think I get excited? John's real excited. Notice what he says here. He says, look. Look at this. Hey, he, he wants your attention. Behold, check this out, guys, because nothing like this has happened since the dawn of man. As a matter of fact, since the fall, God dwelt with men in his presence, but this is extraordinary. And what happened in the fall, God has been undoing ever since that point in time, Jesus Christ being the final answer to that. And now, in this way, God is going to dwell with his people in a way that has never happened before. Look, behold, check this out. It's absolutely amazing. This is the final fulfillment of God's plan to have His home and His dwelling with man spoken of by the prophets and being fulfilled right here. It is this state that will be absolutely permanent. You and I are going to live in the glory of His presence for all eternity. And I think about the time when Moses was up on the mountain and he was up there for 40 days and he was in the presence of God and he didn't need food, he didn't need water, he didn't need absolutely anything. Why? Because God sustained him. Later on, John is going to say that there is no need for the sun. There is no need for the moon. Because God will be its light. And Jesus Christ will be the lamp. Hey, you go outside on a sunny day, there's no clouds. Can you escape the sun? No. It's everywhere. Can you feel its effects? Absolutely. You just multiply that by infinite amount of number, and that's what it's going to be like, except it's going to be God's presence. Touching each and every one of us. Filling us with glory and blessing. Permanent. And without a doubt here, there's an idea of complete security and safety. Same thing with home. Don't you feel safer when certain people are there? Feel safer when certain people are in the room? That's the way it's going to be here. You know, we may have this moment, these moments now, where we feel safe. However, always in the back of our minds, there's always the what if. What if this happens? What if this happens? And we feel vulnerable. Not anymore. I was thinking about this today, this past week as I write this sermon, and you feel like those kids right now communicating with God. You ever 
pray. I pray this quite often, that God, you would just kind of let me know you're here. <laughs> just give me a heads up that, you know, everything's going to be okay. And, you know, I pray with regards to him working in the church and working in me and me being able to see fruit. But it goes beyond just seeing the fruit. It allows me to know that he's with me. And that's what's most important. And that's what we've been longing for here on earth. At least that's what we should be longing for. That heaven is in a place. It's about who's there. The one that we haven't seen but yet love is the one that you and I are going to see face to face. Face to face. You know, one of the hardest things about this pandemic has been face masks. Because it covers people, doesn't it? And sometimes you can't hear a word they're saying. You have no idea, especially the grocers at the, the supermarkets. But it also, I, I found myself as I'm wearing the mask, I had to start smiling with my eyes. Did you try to do that to make sure people knew that you weren't mad at them or anything like that? You're like, no, I'm happy under here. We're all going to have like weird twitches later on after this. But part of the face, I also saw people in our church that I didn't recognize. And you have to look and you're like... Bob? Yeah, yeah. And they pull down the face mask. So we, we know people. We get to see people. We understand people when we see their face. That's what's going to happen here. God's going to take off the mask. You're going to see him face to face. And when you see him face to face, you're going to see everything about him. Never, ever, ever to leave his presence again. Notice he says they will be... John can't get over this fact. He says it like three times. He says they'll be with him. God will dwell among them. God himself will be there. They will be his people. He wants that point to be driven home. Hey, it's never going to change. You'll never be vulnerable again. New heaven, new earth, new presence. Because of that presence, a new order. Verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. No longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Since 2006, a group of people started celebrating an important event. How many people have heard of Good Riddance Day? You never heard of Good Riddance? It sounds like fun, though. I've never heard of it until I read this illustration Good Riddance Day is where participants write down unpleasant, painful, or embarrassing memories from the past year and throw them into an industrial strength shredder. Or, if you prefer, like this lady here, you can take a sledgehammer to your Good Riddance item. iPhones, laptops, whatever it is. The U.S. event is based after a Latin American tradition. This actually sounds a lot more fun than the Good Riddance one. In which New Year's revelers stuffed dolls with objects 
representing bad memories before, before and set them on fire. So I like that one a lot better. I like fire. Well, especially as a kid. Never mind. Once, once one of the good riddance day organizers says this, it's something that we really need to have, even when the world is crazy, I would say, especially when the world is crazy, to say, you know what? I'm going to say goodbye to these things that have been dragging me down, and I'm going to look forward with a sense of hope and the possibility of change, either for myself personally or for this whole world. He says, so it's a chance to detox in a really big way. I'm sure that there, you guys probably have some things in your minds right now you want to say good riddance to, right? Say goodbye to. Hopefully, there's, it's not any people that are sitting next to you right now. Say, see you later, brother. I'm sure there are many things we'd like to say goodbye to. I'm sure some are pretty humorous. Some are funny. Say goodbye to Zoom calls. Say goodbye to face masks, whatever it is. But I'm sure some are pretty serious, too. Some things that you kind of just maybe want to put out of your mind and forget about. Say goodbye. I don't want to deal with that anymore. I'm tired of that. I want to move forward. But what happens comes back, doesn't it? Keeps coming back. Folks, I'll tell you right now, the birth of Jesus Christ is an opportunity for you and me to partake in an eternal good riddance day. And I don't think there is one thing on this list that I just read that we want to hold on to, is there? So get ready to say goodbye. Get ready to say goodbye to tears. Get ready to say goodbye to crying. Get ready to say goodbye to mourning. Get ready to say goodbye to pain. Get ready to say goodbye to that which has caused it all, sin and death. And get ready to say hello to an eternity that no longer remembers those things. That those things just are not invited anymore. That is the hope that you and I have in Jesus Christ. Where God says no more. Because of his presence, because of what Christ has done. And for those who have placed their hope on him, you and I could say goodbye to all of these things, once and for all. We're done. There's coming a day when we will no longer be sorrowful. There's coming a day where we will no longer experience pain. There's coming a day where we will no longer grieve. Because grief, tears, and sorrow is so often associated with death, isn't it? And for those of us who have lost people, we know what that's like. We're never the same again. And we go over this over and over again in this cycle of suffering and grieving and tears and mourning. God says, no more. No more. And those of us that have lost loved ones in Christ, we will never be separated from them or from Him again. 
says goodbye to those things, but I, I, I want you to look at how this comfort is administered. God doesn't just say, stop crying, no need to cry anymore. God doesn't just say, goodbye tears. What does he do? He wipes them away, doesn't he? It's a cute picture. Went viral. Little girl saw a politician crying. Knew it wasn't right. Something's wrong. Grabs a tissue and goes up and tries to wipe the tears away. But to no avail. Tries to wipe them away. He's still crying. It's kind of what happens with us here on earth, isn't it? Wipe the tears away, and maybe we won't cry. Maybe it's been a few days, a few weeks, but they come back. Tell you what, when God wipes your tears away, they ain't ever coming back. And the tears that you and I cry now, they don't just fall to the ground. They're not just wasted tears. What does God tell us? Where do those tears go? They go in his bottle. And it means that he knows all the reasons why we are crying. And he knows how much pain that you and I are going through. He knows it all. And one day he promises, he promises not just some of the tears, all the tears, every single tear, goodbye. It's gone. Never ever to return again. Why? Because Jesus Christ has defeated death. How come he can do this? Why can he do this? Who was Jesus? Yes, he was, we celebrate him and we celebrate his birth and he was a baby, but that baby became a man. What type of man did he become? He became a man of sorrows. He became a man that was acquainted with grief. He became a man of suffering, and he became a man who died on a cross for you and me. And it's because he did that that you and I can live forever and say goodbye to all of these things. No more. It's gone. Because Jesus Christ stepped into our suffering and pain, you and I can have an eternity without it. That's the hope that we have in Him. And that's the hope that's going to get you through every single day until it becomes a reality. The birth of Jesus Christ gives us the hope of a new life. It's all new. It's a new home, the new heavens, a new earth, it's a new presence, God's presence with us for all eternity, and it's a new order where we say goodbye to all those things never ever to be thought of again. That is what Christmas is all about. That's the end of the story. Hope. We're all about New things for Christmas, aren't we? New presents, new gifts, new socks, new ties. Folks, 
It doesn't get any newer than this. Christmas is literally a new hope, a gift for you and for me. And this is a reality for all of us who put our hope in Him. Father, thank You, thank You, thank You. Lord, we look forward to this day. We look forward to the day when we see You face to face. Give us the strength. Remind us of these truths as we, wake, as we make our way towards that day. Lord, and help us to go forth from these, this building, out these doors, telling everybody of the hope that is found in your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.